0: Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I haven't had an episode in a while. I'm sorry about that. I've been really busy writing these scripts for the podcast "Imagine Life. They take a lot out of you. So um, I'm really happy to have a new episode for you now. Uh, my guest is David Dean Bertrell. He's an actor and writer. You might have seen him in shows like Boston Legal where he played a really crazy Fantastic character for a a number of episodes. He's also been in things like Modern Family and a whole lot of crime shows where he does a lot of killing and stuff and he is also a writer and he's written a new book called Working Actor and it's not just about how to be a working actor. I think a lot of the lessons and stories that he talks about could apply to anybody trying to create a career in a very tricky business. So before we get to the interview though, I want to mention my business LifeCast. It's where I interview somebody about their life as a sort of legacy thing and it lives online like a podcast um i just flew to salt lake city to do an interview for somebody for a live cast and it was a thrill it was a gentleman who was celebrating his 80th birthday his kids pitched in and bought it and uh, we were able to get all of his great stories down for posterity and it was a real treat it was really fun um so that's that oh i also want to get a plug in for the mismatch game uh the comedy game show parody that i produce and host it's coming up on the 29th and 30th of this month, March, at the LA Gay and Lesbian Center. Uh, and you can learn about that at la lalgbtcenter.org. Um, tickets are only 15 bucks, and it's our 15th anniversary. We've been doing this for 15 years. So uh, that's enough of that. Uh, no more plugs. And here without any further ado is David Dean Betrell. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the coffeehouse Solar de Cahuenga on Cahuenga Boulevard in Hollywood. I'm here with my guest today, actor and writer David Dean Buttrell. Hey. Hey, we're on a patio. We're doing the patio thing. <laughs> no, Because you live in New York now. I, thought, I do. I, I, you you, you kind of go back and forth sometimes? Yeah,
1: or? yeah, yeah. Mostly I'm in New York these days.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did you leave L.A.? Like, when did you uh, make o- that move? Officially, like, fall of 2016. okay. A few years ago. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's been good. But God, it's so nice and warm here. I know. Today, especially, it just turned. Mm. Uh, So you have a new book out. It's called The Working Actor, and it has one of those wonderful subtitles (laughs) that you know are like uh, Google search heaven, right? right? That's what it's all about. Exactly. So what's the show? What's the subtitle? Uh, the, uh, The
1: whole title is Working Actor. Uh, breaking in, making a living, and making a life in the fabulous trenches of show business. I like that fabulous is in there. Thank you, it is. And that's not the original title. What was the original title? The original title that I sold the book under was... Give Up, It's Hopeless?
2: (laughs) 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 The the Dennis Empley story? Exactly.
0: The original
1: title was called Overnight Sensation, how to be moderately successful in show business in 35 short years, which That's I thought was fun a great too right? title. Yeah, but there's nothing that will show up in a Google search. That was the right. problem with that.
0: Right. Interesting. You need those words. Yeah. Now, what um, inspired you to write the book? Where did it come from?
1: Um, anger. Right. Uh, where all my good ideas come from is right. anger. It's a motivator. It is. It's a big motivator. <clears> um, <throat> I had done a show here in L. A. That was really popular called David Dean Bottrell Makes Love, a one man show. Yes. And the L. A. Times came and saw it which was great right and they gave it a really nice review right but when they were referring to me when they were sort of introducing me to their readers right there was a little parenthetical behind my name it was like David Dean Bottrell, LA- based actor writer comedian perched on the edge
0: of success. Just sitting right there on it. Right on it. Dry-humping it. Just <laughs> straddling <laughs> it. <laughs> and it you uh, know,
1: the review was, like, great, but, right. but that little Stuck thing... Stuck in your craw. It just pissed me off, you know?
0: Right, because if what's being in a show that you're getting a good review, that's not success? Well, I
1: mean, like, I've, I've been at this a long time, right. and
0: I've been making my living in the entertainment industry since I was
1: in my 20s, right. yeah. and I thought... I'm just perched on the edge of success <laughs> right, after right. all those years. So it really made me think about what that word meant. You know? Success.
0: Right. How do people define success? Especially in our business. Yes. Because it seems that everybody's
1: got to be famous. you got to be above the title. You're right. you got to be a millionaire to be successful. And, and everybody seems to perceive the whole industry as either you're you're living in Malibu or you're living in a tent somewhere. right? And there's nothing in between when, in fact, the majority of us live in between. Right. So I wanted to write a book about what it meant to be middle class in show business. That's my theme song you're hearing right now. Right, I love <laughs> it. It's
0: coming. It's
1: cool. We're doing that's, it in the coffee house. That's kind of a Latin yeah, feel. <laughs> it's, it's nice. It's called Middle Class in Show Business. So yeah. that was the, the first thing. And the other thing was... I've been doing a lot more teaching lately, right? And I got a lot of students who are graduating year after year, who turn to me and say, "Hey, uh, how do you begin? Like, yeah, what does do I this do? Start?" And yeah. my answer is always, "You just start." Yeah. And then little by little, you make some mistakes and you find your path. Right. But nobody really ever talks about what the actual human experience of that is. Right. And I've done a lot of mentoring over the years, so I decided if I was going to write a book, I wanted to. Be honest, and I wanted to talk from a middle-class performer's perspective. Right. As somebody who's... I mean, I've worked with a lot of really big stars, and because I teach, I know a lot of people who started yesterday. Right. And I am firmly in the middle between those two groups, you know? So... I just thought it would be kind of cool to at least let people know when you sign up for this life, right? There's a lot more to it than just oh, do I get an agent or you know, how do I find a job or all that or what's a union and all that stuff. All that's covered in this book. Right. But mostly it's about the journey of it. What's and, it
0: like? Yeah,
1: what's it like? What yeah. does it feel like? And and some of the mistakes that you're inevitably gonna make right. and how you can bounce back from those. Or right. and you don't have to You know, truthfully, I think one of the biggest themes in this book that I try to do or try to sort of hit hard is don't compare yourself ever under any circumstances. Just don't do it. It's going to be unique. And here's a kind of a vague roadmap that I'm going to try to flesh out with, like, stories and anecdotes and and advice and a a few bullet points here and there to kind of keep you on track so that you can aim toward having a fulfilling, kind of happy existence as a performer and and hopefully make a living doing it.
0: I love it. So you're saying that I need to unsubscribe from Dustin Lance Black's Instagram?
1: I would if I were you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's good for you. I love the idea of this book, and I started reading it, and what I like is the tone of somebody that's like, I'm going to tell you what it's really like. It doesn't have an academic tone. It's very like real world, and then you get a lot of people to talk about like what LA's like compared to New York, and they're just telling their experiences. Yeah. And so it just feels like there's so much for people to take from this book.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I'm I, not preaching from the mountaintop, you right. know? I'm actually I'm giving you the direct dispatches right from the trenches, you know?
0: Like you're trying to make sense of it for yourself as yeah. you're doing
1: it. I mean, a couple of times during the course of writing this book, I will be honest with you and tell you I had a little crisis, and would yeah. say who the fuck am I to be right. telling anybody anything and then I thought well who the fuck am I not to be telling right, anything exactly. you know I'm perfectly qualified to write this book Right, and you're a good book,
0: writer as well oh, you're thank good at stri- you. putting words and sentences and thoughts together and humor and, thank you I'm an yeah. excellent typist yeah no, you're, you're, it's great <laughs> it's really good um, and how did you get uh, Random House
2: involved?
1: Uh, this is one of those weird things where I, although obviously I've done a lot of writing, I've never written a book before. Mm-hmm. So uh, my first step was I just wrote a proposal, right. and then I, I went out and I looked at on the bookshelves and saw who was publishing what, right. and I found a few names. And most of those websites had an open portal. right? So I just blindly submitted to about five of those companies, and two weeks later I got my first offer on the book. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's and fantastic. It was wonderful. And then that first and then I very shortly after that got a book agent. And then uh, she started to kind of poke around. And then the original offer kind of dissolved because that company went into kind of a crisis. It happened. And then it does happen. And fortunately, she saved the day and said, that's okay. I just got interest from Random House.
2: Nice. So we
1: moved to Random House. So that made, I mean, it suddenly. You know, we we just went from zero to 60. So that was pretty great. I love and, that.
0: And I think, you know... Did you write the whole thing before you submitted it anywhere? No. no, I wrote a proposal. proposal. right, okay. Um,
1: and I, honest to God, think that what sold it was not that the world needs another book about, you know, how to be an actor. I right. think what sold it was, it's kind of part memoir, and yeah. it's part how-to book, but it's mostly a how-to book. Right. But every chapter begins with some story that I have attempted to tell in the funniest and most honest way possible right. about the subject we're going to be talking about. Right. So that you can have a, you know, anybody who's reading this has a little sense of what that feels like.
0: Right. It, feels, it, it doesn't feel academic. It feels like you're in it. Like you could be talking to somebody. You know when somebody moves to L.A.? Oh, take them out to coffee. It feels like that kind of conversation. Right. But really right. well thought through and, oh, and, thank and you. Uh, well articulated. Oh, thank are, you. Are there any stories that you... That were a little uncomfortable to put in. Like this illustrates this thing so good, but it, it's a little cringy. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, is exactly what I'm talking about, but
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean I'll I'll tell you, in the course of I mean in the first draft of the book I just wrote whatever the hell actually happened. Right. And then as I went back, I, I decided to be a little careful because I'm talking about people's careers and, and right. I and I went back and I, I took out some names. I, I I filtered a little information because I just tried to get to the point of that story. Right, not that without, it was so and
0: so. Yeah. Right.
1: And and to not I didn't want to spend it, you know, trashing other people or embarrassing other people. Right. And in some cases I think people friends of mine may read stories in there. And not even recognize that the story's about them Right. <laughs> now, right. Uh, because I, I I wanted to share the point of the story without necessarily embarrassing. Right, everybody. it's
0: not a tell-all, dishy.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, a few years ago, I had interest about writing a book, and right. honest to God, what they what they said was, "Well, are you are you going to tell like embarrassing stories about famous people?" Right, and I said, I. I can't imagine why I would want to do that unless, <laughs> right. unless I'm leaving show business forever. Right. Uh, you know, who would hire me after that? Yeah. And uh, the one thing I like about, I mean, I like a lot of things about the book, but yeah. one thing things I'm proud about about the book is that it's respectful and enthusiastic about the choice of being an artist.
0: Right. No, it celebrates. It goes, we get it. Yeah. Um, like, we get why you felt drawn to this life. Like, I started, a a couple years ago, I started going to uh, programs at the Actors Fund Mm -hmm. because I was a little lost, and they had really great resources for resume writing and all of this stuff, and it really changed my life in a lot of ways, especially the financial course and and an entrepreneurial course that I became a part of in the game, and everything came out of that. But what I liked about it is you don't walk in there and they go, should have gone to law school. Like, they get it. Yeah. And so I feel like your book gets it, too. Oh, thank you. You get the... um, That it's not just about a desire to be famous or be rich or whatever. That it's that it's something deep in people that they feel deeply connected to. Yeah, and that can sometimes get you into trouble.
1: It can. (laughs) I've had
0: that. I've had that before. This feeling of like, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, then why is it so hard? Yeah. Maybe it's not. You know, this feeling that it's that that you're meant to be creative in some way. Right. Well, the other thing,
1: too, I mean, I've I've done a lot of different jobs in show business. Right. And people always say, oh, you're such a renaissance man. And you're so intrigued by all these things, obviously. And that's not really how it played out. What happened was I reached a part in my career where I sort of aged out of my type. Right. And I was in this weird category, nobody knew what to do with me. And so that's how I became a writer, because I didn't want to go back to food service.
0: Right, it was necessity. It was, and that's how I
1: learned how to be a director, and it's how I learned how to produce things. Right. Because I, I didn't want to go far away from what I love to do, and I thought, well, eventually they'll
0: let me back in. Right. <laughs> and they did. They did. and They did. What was the turning point? You have a lot of great credits on your resume. You had this amazing arc on um, The Practice. Oh, Boston Legal. Or the Legal. Boston Legal. Yeah. David e. Kelly. Yeah. Boston Legal. And uh, you've been on Mad Men and Modern Family and, and a lot of different shows. Was there a moment where you felt that, oh, I'm back in again? Oh, yeah. My type is back in. Was it that pronounced? Uh,
1: it, it was exactly that pronounced because yeah. I had sort of officially left acting. Right. Um, and then my phone rang, as sometimes happens in this business, right. when you least expect it. And some casting director wanted me to come in for a, you know, one scene guest star role on Boston Legal. Right. And I'd been out of acting for several years at that point, and I turned it down. And she, God bless her, was relentless and made me come in. She just twisted my arm, and I came in. And What David, does she say? you got to come in? This she, is so, I know you can do this? That kind of. She said, oh, please, you know, come in. And I said, well, why do you want me to come in? And she said, I just remember you from that play. And I said, what play? And she told me the play. And it was a play that I had done 20 years ago. Wow. And I said, well, I'm sorry, why? And she said, you were just so weird in that play. And they need somebody really weird for this role. (laughs) All right. And I was like, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, yeah. And uh, and I just came up with a take on it. And I took it in. And David Kelly thought it was funny. Right. And that was it. All of a sudden, I became this major recurring character on that right. show. It was, it was supposed show. to just be one episode, one episode, yeah, and it turned into it the turned whole into rest the, of the season. Yeah, like it was, it was a huge screen. arc. And at one point, I had as much screen time as
0: any of the regulars. I mean, right. I was
1: on that show, so you must have inspired him.
0: Well, he's as great. a writer. He's great that way. I mean, like he's like, oh, I'll, I can take from this and look where I can go with it.
1: What was cool about it, Dennis, was it was truly kind of a collaboration because the character description originally had nothing to do with what I brought in to the audition like nothing at all I totally just junked it and did my own thing and he loved it and so he began to write to that idea right. what was the name of the character he had a funny name Lincoln Meyer Lincoln was the Meyer man. <laughs> His right. name. And David is a phenomenal writer for performers. He kind of tunes into what you're good at. Right. And then he just takes that and runs with it. So every week I'd be thrilled. And he pushed it so far. And it, would, it got so sinister and so crazy and also really poignant. Right. As well because he really tuned into how alone this guy probably was. Right. And how that probably motivated a lot of his craziness was he was so isolated. So it was beautiful. It was, like, it was amazing and it changed everything. Yeah, and it, it,
0: it really was like, I remember that vividly when that, that came on. It was so
1: exciting. It was. It was right? almost ex- as exciting as the fire that's happening nearby. I know, it's really, you know,
0: it's, it's what it is. This is Hollywood, yeah. everybody. What was it like when you found out you got the part on on uh, on Boston Eagle?
1: It happened immediately. It happened um, in the room, like it, right it then. It kind of happened in the room. Uh, I, I knew we were Something was happening Because they kept me In the room forever And they kept right. making me Do it over and over again And then they just Sat there and laughed And then I would say Well do you want me To do something different And they would say No just do it again And then they would Laugh again It was like a party trick Or something And I walked out Finally And I made it Maybe across the room Before somebody, somebody Came running out of the room And said I need you to stay In the area Of this studio For two hours And I said Why? And they said, I cannot legally tell you why. I just need you to stay in this area for two hours. Wow. And two hours later, I got the call. And they said, we need you to go straight to wardrobe. You got the part. Fantastic. It was so thrilling. It was amazing, you know? Yeah. Uh, once before in my life, I sold a movie, like, in the room. Like, right. at the end of the pitch, they said, We're buying this movie. Don't take it anywhere else. We're buying it. Right. And that, that's the only other time anything like that's ever happened. But it's, a th- oh my God, it's so thrilling in I this know. town. I know. In this city, to, like, have a yes and to have it happen immediately right. it is, like, incredible.
0: What a moment. Uh, and what was it like going, going to the show week after week? Because you were on for a number of episodes. I was on
1: a long time. Yeah. And what was. Uh, it was crazy because I was working with all these heavy hitting actors, like Mm -hmm. people that I had seen since I was a kid on TV. And so like the first day, you know, I was in the makeup chair next to William Shatner for God's sake, right? next to Captain Kirk, you know? Right. And I wound up working with him on the show and then Candace Bergen and Delta Burke and I, you know, Julie Bowen and all these incredible people on that show. Every week there was somebody new. Right. And it was, I remember thinking, okay, you can't. Back up. You can't look over your shoulder. You can't doubt yourself. You've just got to go in and look this person right. in the eye. You gotta meet him a hundred percent. You gotta like you gotta be their equal at this moment. When they call action, you gotta be an equal partner in this and yeah. not back up. And that served me well and right. they were very generous to me. Um, Everybody got along great on that show, which was terrific, because on some shows they don't, as you know. But it was a happy set, and everybody, you know, the ratings went up. Like, everybody was happy at the same time, which is so unusual. That's so (laughs) wild. Yeah, that's such a phenomenon. (laughs) It was. And then to do that incredible role, you know, every week. So it was about as much fun as you can have on a TV show, I think.
0: How much did it change the game after it was on? Totally, for what, me, more totally. auditions, everything.
1: Totally, I I had been totally off the radar, and I was suddenly back on in this big kind of splashy way. Right. And suddenly I was auditioning for pilots, and you know there was all kinds of talk about oh this is going to happen and that's going to happen. None of that actually happened. Right. Which is the reality of show business, I guess. But it was exciting, and I was famous for a while. I had my right. like 15 minutes of fame where. You would get recognized in the store and Oh, stuff. absolutely. I couldn't go through the airport. Uh, right. You know, people would pull up alongside my car, hawking their horn. You know, right. all this stuff that happens, I guess, to really famous people all the time. Right. But it was nice to have a little taste of it. And suddenly I went from, you know, nobody to kind of almost the front of the line with character acting. Yeah. And so it was a huge change. And it was pretty much overnight. And it timed out well. Because I've been working as a screenwriter for over a decade. Right. And I was getting really burnt out on that right. job. Because yeah. I'm sure you know well what that job is like.
0: Yeah, a lot of times you never get your thing made. Right. Like, if you if you do, if you're lucky enough to get the job, it's still like yes. Yeah. so so many people make really good livings and never have anything made.
1: That was kinda ter- I had one movie made in ten years. Yeah. And I, I was Kingdom totally, Come.
0: Yeah, Kingdom Come, exactly. It was based on a play that you wrote. It was. And it had a really cool cast.
1: It was amazing. It was yeah. uh, it was an African American movie, and it had sort of every African American actor that was in right. movies at that moment, like Whoopi and LL Cool J and Jada Pinkett Smith and. Uh, Vivica Fox, and Cedric the Entertainer, and Loretta Devine, and everybody was in it. They were all in it.
0: And it was based on a play that you wrote? It was. What what was the plot of the play, the premise? It's
1: about a funeral. Um, Right. It's a a funeral in a small town down south, and it was actually based on something that happened in my family. Yeah. But then, in the way that these things occur sometimes in Hollywood, it was cast with all African-American actors. Right. It was sort of the story of my family, played by black people.
0: It must have been surreal, right? It was a bit. Yeah, it was fun, a little, though. but really fun. Um, were you involved once they started shooting and stuff like that? I were was. You That's I great. was.
1: I was very surprised. I was kept very close to the process, which is not usually the case. But they kept me very, very close at hand, and it was amazing. It was an amazing experience.
0: What's your favorite memory of making that movie? Uh,
1: my favorite. Uh, what is my favorite <laughs> moment? Uh, it was a moment when something really kind of. Um, Bad happened on set Right <laughs> and, um, We were all under A lot of stress That day right. And um, Some I won't Probably shouldn't say Any names But somebody Kind of like Lost to their shit On set Right and, uh, and the way The way it happened You know how You know how, like Laughing in church That moment When something Just strikes yeah. you So funny And it really Shouldn't be funny But it's, it is Yeah And and I, I began to laugh, me and a couple other people began to laugh so hard that I had to leave the set and like run outside and like stand outside the studio and like laugh until I couldn't laugh anymore because it was just stress. But we were very close to finishing the movie by that right. point, And it had been a, kind of a problematic shoot right. for a lot of reasons. So it was just a release. Somebody had oh, a meltdown. And somebody just, did. Yeah. And, and what they said and how they said it was so unbelievably funny to me that I yeah. just couldn't stand it. But
0: you weren't alone. There were a couple of uh, other no, people. No, no.
1: Other people did too. Okay. That's There hilarious. were several of us like choking yeah. at our laughter in the
0: hallway. So after the Boston legal role comes on, do you feel pressure to like, okay, I got to make the most of it? Or do you just kind of go with it? Or are you at that point where you've been around long enough that you're like, I'm not gonna freak myself out here?
1: You know, I'm gonna. This is such a weird thing. It, when I was doing it, I had kind of no idea yeah. what was actually happening until after it had happened in right. a way. Um, it, I I I knew that you know people were sort of excited about it, but I didn't realize how many people were watching or right. how how big that was kind of becoming at the moment. Right. So I. I you know, in hindsight, I probably would have treated it a little bit differently. I right. would have run out and hired a publicist or something like right. that. Uh, but instead, I just sort of treated it as a job, and I right. thought, "Oh, it's a fun job." And you know, I, I, this is probably it. I probably won't act anymore after this. But I sure did. Right. You know, a lot of people called after that, and so I, you know, I've played a lot of killers. Right. Since that You're time. in a
0: lot of crime shows. I've, I've killed. killed you, do you have a lot of crime in your life and in your, in your blood? <laughs> You've killed, you kill a lot.
1: I have killed all over network TV. Um, I have yet to kill anybody in real life, but maybe today. Who knows? You know
0: what? What is your favorite way to kill people when you're acting? Oh I in your roles. Do you I've do killed, weird shit?
1: I've killed, mostly
0: it is kind of weird. It seems like it would be weird yeah,
1: shit. I remember there was one where I, I put my I somehow I jammed this drag queen's head into a toilet and held her head down until she drowned in the toilet. And the GLAAD
2: award goes to
0: I, David P David P. What that,
1: was that for? That was for a very short-lived show called Women's Murder Club. Okay. And I, uh, I was the owner of the drag club, and I was oh. gay. But okay. I, but I had, I had it was some kind of unrequited love thing, or I forget that was too many years ago. But anyway, I would become jealous or angry or whatever, and I had, I you had to jam. That was my revenge. Was I drowned her in the toilet? Um, so that's one way. And then I, I killed somebody with a shovel one time, right. and and then I shot somebody in the head one time, and. Just, I've done it all, Dennis. What? I find that <laughs> hilarious.
0: But doesn't it kind of get funny after a while? Like, well, if you want a weird murderer person with a little quirk to them, I'm your guy. I, I've kind of. I think I learned.
1: It's so weird. Like when I started out, I was like such a little innocent farm boy, and that's yeah. mostly the, the roles that I got right. when I was, you know, young. And then later on in life, this, you know, I guess it was after I worked in the studio system that I kind of realized just how maniacal and crazy and sinister people could be. Right. And I once I'd experienced that, I was able to kind of find it in myself, I guess. But then I, I started playing these psychopaths, and I thought, oh, okay. And really... I would think
0: they're kind of fun in a way. They are fun. And sort of moving when you figure out what's really going on with them or where it comes from. That's, when you start to build that character, yeah. I would think.
1: Yeah, that, that actually is the fun part, because... Uh, I always tell my students because I, I teach quite a bit these days that you know you, you if you can find like the real reason, then it's not just like a party trick you know yeah. then it then it is actually even more frightening. You bring a lot
0: more level to it. Yeah,
1: That's why a, you get cast. It's a lot more frightening because there's a little truth behind it and you sense, wow, this person really is gonna do this because they got a reason to do and it. And they're damaged. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So that part of it's kind of fun. The weird part is having to, at least on network television, uh, at the you know, in the fourth act of the show to explain the entire crime once you've been caught, you know, to just confess to everything and explain exactly how it was done. Right. Like you do when right. you're accused of murder. Yeah. That's always a little hard to justify that moment because he <laughs>
0: strains credibility a little bit right but you sell it thank you, you gotta, thanks you it's gotta fun. move that Procter & Gamble merch <laughs> you, you gotta get in and out in five minutes <laughs> you do um, your dedication at the front of your book David E. Kelly one of the people you yeah. list who are the others um, I list a couple other people um, I list
1: a, a guy named Ed Bates who was a producer right. who got me so much work as a writer uh, there's a woman named Nikki Valco who I've known quite literally since she was an apprentice at a, uh, at a theater that I worked at when I was a young actor who's a casting director right. who has several times including Boston Legal she put me on Boston Legal um, who has stuck her neck out for me and David e. Kelly and a guy named Nick Wilkinson who was a theater casting director who kind of gave me my first start And the reason I thanked them is, as I'm sure you know and everybody in show business knows, it's very easy to to be encouraging and go, oh, you're great. You should do this. Hang in there. Stick it out. Go for it. That's one thing. And it's another thing for people to risk their professional reputations to hire you when you're the new person and right. you're unproven—that's a big thing. That takes a little courage on their part, and those people all really did something remarkable for me. They all kicked open some doors for me, Right. and, I, and it, all of them really changed my life because they took a chance.
0: Well, I know this from magazines when I was writing. If you have one or two editors that like you, that's a career. Yeah. And if they go away, then that's a career bye-bye. Or what, in other words, one person can One one person that gets it and keeps giving you opportunities you can build a whole career on that but if you don't have that or if you have that and it goes away or whatever it's the opposite right so
1: one of the things I tell my students is you know in the world of casting directors which of course all actors are obsessed with casting directors right and what I say is they don't all have to like you they just need a handful that likes you that's all Because if you surveyed all the casting directors in L.A., I'm sure a portion of them would say, oh, David is good. And a portion would say, oh, he's okay. And another portion would say, oh, God, no. Do you I mean? It's it's impossible. It's a popularity contest that you will never win. All you need is enough. You just yeah. need enough yeah. that will call you in. And that's it. You can't please everybody. It's, it's, a, it's crazy making to try to make everybody like you. Yeah. What do you write about luck in the book? I, I write a strange thing about luck, which is I sort of say it doesn't really exist. There's really kind of no such thing as luck. Right. Um, that, that it really is that idea of being prepared and constantly tilling the field, you know, always looking for that next thing and staying out there and visible. And then, you know, it's just what is it, that old saying, you know, uh, uh, preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. And I tell a couple of stories about luck. It seemed like, oh wow, you know, this is a big thing. That piece was a luck. What a,
0: he caught a break.
1: Yeah, and then when I actually sort of break down why that happened, right? It actually happened because a whole lot of work went into that particular moment. Yeah. What's know? one of those stories? Um, I, I tell the story of um, meeting this agent um, in an elevator, <laughs> my right. agent who really changed my TV career right. uh, after Boston Legal. And it for was, acting, for acting, yeah. Right. And it was it was about how I had gone to a, a screening of a friend's film. Right. Um, it was screening not far from my house. Uh, I had already seen the film, and I didn't really want to see it again. Right. But I but I am a big believer in supporting artists that I you know believe right. in. I think you're talented. I really think it's important. It's a big deal. I think so too. So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to this screening, and I'm just going to stick my head in the reception before the screening. I'm going to find him. I'm going to shake his hand and give him a hug, and then I'm going to leave before right. the movie starts because right. I don't want to see it again. It. Yeah. And, but at least he will have seen my face, right. which is all that really matters. He'll know I was there, and he won't remember that I wasn't there after the movie. Right. And so, I Or I'll just say lie and say I ducked out. But yeah. I want to support him. So right. I went down to this thing. And it was uh, it was at uh, the sunset. What was the sunset Vibe or the Sundance Vibe? Whatever. Right. The with, with that horrible parking garage that goes yes. into the center of the earth. Right. And then you go all the way down there. Right. The parking. The only parking was on the bottom of level. Yeah. And then you have to wait about thirty minutes for the elevator. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It's really pretty bad. So I moved to LA. It's great. It's fantastic. The weather <laughs> is great. Yeah. And the traffic is non-existent. Right. Uh, so I waited. I was waiting for that elevator. It finally came. I got on. And then I looked across the the, um, uh, the parking garage and I saw this guy racing to try to make that elevator. Right. And I kind of wanted to just go instead and like, fuck you, I waited long enough, but I right. held it. Like I stuck right. my hand out and I held it for him. Right. He got on, we made a little elevator small talk, we got to the top floor and he said, I'm so surprised that you don't, I'm always so surprised that you don't speak like that character on Boston Legal. I was like, oh, thank you. And then we talked a little bit, turns out he was an agent. Right. And then he said... I don't know where you're at, but if you're ever looking for a new rep, and he gave me his card, and I was looking for a new rep at that moment. Wow! So, three, three, four days later, he was my new agent, and he changed my career. And I go back and talk about. You can sort of say, "Oh, well, that was luck," but then there was actually a lot of things that went into that. You know, right. um, there was there was the fact that I had. Done a lot. I'd done a substantial amount of work that I was really proud of. Right. You know. Right. That was out there in there the market. was a real track record. Right. I'd put something out there. This was an event. It was a professional event. I could have sat on my ass at home and watched right. Netflix, but I went out to support things. People who are doing things, right. which is really important. And someone whose work I admired. I was there for a reason right. to support somebody good. I I was, I was a nice person I held the elevator right.
0: <laughs> I, I would have done that but I, do you ever have that moment in the elevator where you're like you don't know what button to push and then you <laughs> miss the moment <laughs> yeah. I that's why my career's never I, really taken I off. I always
1: it. risk losing a limb right. Right. I literally shove a limb yeah. in there okay uh, in, in other words a, I would
0: have the impulse and not know what button or what sure no I get but that but a limb is good I get that Okay.
1: and then like that my father taught me to do that like always yeah. like hold the door yeah. for people it's good and so that was played into it and then I'm not afraid to make a conversation with strangers because I think that's interesting and a good thing to do in life but there were all these different policies that I had in place at that moment
0: that
1: actually that I know pay off and they did pay off does that make sense Yeah. and I feel like when people want luck I always want to say if you want luck take a look at your behavior Yeah. see if you're doing things like if you're actually behaving in a way that will bring you any luck yeah. What do you? What do you? What are you putting out into the world? Right. You
0: know. Well, a lot of times people talk about being in the right place at the right time. Well, how? What's the right place at the right time? Nobody knows. But it's probably not your house.
1: No. it's not right? Your house.
0: So there's that. It's not your right.
1: couch. No. It's not your couch. Right.
0: So, um, you got to be on Days of Our Lives. I was. What's fun about being on a soap? <laughs> I had never been on one before. Because so you were on I, for a while. I was on for about. I had about six weeks that
1: I was yeah. on. Yeah. I was kind of playing this like uh, male nurse Ratchet. From, right. Uh, days of our lives. And I was always threatening this guy. Like uh, like I didn't really specifically say I'm going to kill you, but I always right. said something that sounded like maybe I would. Right. And uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. I'd never done one before. It is basically like live TV. Right. It's like you basically get one shot at it. Yeah. So that was a little terrifying. And uh, I remember early on making a big mistake, like I like I stumbled over some line, and then they came to the end of it, and I immediately said, "Can we go again? Can we go again?" And the director was like, "Eh, it's okay." I said, "Please, please." And he says, eh, it's fine." And all the cameras were rolling away, and the guy that I was in the scene with said, "Listen, don't worry about it. We put takes on the air where people called each other by the wrong name." <laughs> And after that, I never so, worried about yeah. anything again. And it was really a lot of fun. You know? yeah. And the guy that I worked with was, like, so gorgeous and yeah. friendly and sweet. And it was yeah. really a pleasure every time. Did that... his shirt
2: come
0: off? Yeah, it did.
1: It did. <laughs> then you got, you got everything you want out of a sofa.
0: <laughs> but did you learn, like, a respect for the grind of that? And, like, the, the amount that they have to... Yeah. I did.
1: It, yeah. It's amazing what they pull. If you have a big role, and he had a huge role because... Yeah. He was, uh, he was playing himself and his doppelganger oh, at the same time. That's so a lot. He, that's a twice lot. the work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because he would come like flying onto the set, and yeah. he, would, he would turn to me, and he goes what happens in this scene? And yeah. I would I would give him a quick rundown and we'd be like, okay, and we would just jump in and do it. We just made it happen. It was really fun. I love that. And we were done so early. Like yeah. I would show up at like 7 o'clock in the morning and I was done by 10 a.m. and we'd shot four seeds. Amazing.
0: <laughs> you go to Farmer's Market or wherever, exactly. you got the rest of the day. Exactly. Um. What is it like when you're the guest star going into an established set? Because I understand that some actors that are regulars are probably really friendly to people, and other times you feel probably like the kid that sits at the other table or whatever. Like, what is that dynamic like? And how does it affect the work?
1: I... I... I got to say that I think being a guest star is a hard job because right. it's kind of like being the office temp. Right. You mean you arrive, you're there for a short period of time, you don't even know where the bathroom is or right. the coffee machine, you know nothing, nor do you know any of the politics of that particular workplace. Right. And so you really kind of just got to tune into whatever's happening. Yeah. And some sets are really happy and it's great and they're they're nice and they're friendly and they help you with that a little bit. And other sets, you are kind of on your own, and, and if, there's, if it's tense or weird, because I've been on a couple of sets yeah. where it is, um, over time, I've learned to just uh, take a deep breath and try not to let that affect me. Right. Um, you know, we're all kind of sensitive, touchy people. Right. And uh, so it's not going to help me anyway to get sucked in any of that. So I just kind of remember that the only thing that really counts is what I do between action and cut right everything else really doesn't matter right no one's going to know or care about that right so i just try to kind of keep out of the way of harm and right. and i don't overstep anything i don't assume that i have relationships with people that i don't have right and, and i but i also try to not be you know shrinking violet either certainly right. not when we're working i don't i try to kind of make sure if you hired me to do my best then i will um there's a tendency sometimes with stars to sort of be so careful with them yeah. that when you see people being so careful with them then when it comes time to act uh, with them there's a tendency to also kind of be careful and Right, like of, they've been infantilized yeah, almost Yeah, kind of, kind of defer to them in some way Yeah And what I've discovered is I'm usually ca- cast as someone who's causing problems
0: Yeah, to start and things s- up
1: And so I just always remember when my moment comes I need to kind of get in their face, no matter who they are. Right, And uh, that's really served me well. I mean, most of the stars that I've worked with have said, wow, thank you. That's great. Yeah. Because they're also actors and it gives them something to do and they
0: want to be engaged, really. Yeah, it's like that old tennis metaphor where it's like more exciting. Yeah. I interviewed Jeff Daniels, not not pretty early in his career, but at the time he had done a lot of supporting parts with big stars. And he made the point that when you're working opposite Meryl Streep or these big stars, they're always going to pick the take where they're the best. So you have to be good every time. Yes, you do. Is that something you relate to?
1: I do. I do relate to that. And and I, I it kind of. And I also learned a lot from those big stars about. I mean, when I mean, I, I've worked a fair amount, but there's some people who have like literally grown up on television. Right. They, they just really, really know it. Right. And I remember being in a, a take of a scene one time. Sometimes with TV shows, they just have to shoot the script, whether it's ready or not. Right. And it's not maybe all worked out yet. Yeah. And you're handed this scene that doesn't quite make sense, or you're changing subjects for some strange, weird reason. Right. And I had one of those, and I didn't quite know what to do with it. And I I asked for the director's help, and he came up and made it ten times worse And I was working with a big star who leaned into me and whispered, just say it faster. (laughs) And I I said, what? And the star repeated, trust me, just say it faster. And she wound up being absolutely right because when I saw the edited version of it, part of that dialogue was gone. It had been taken out of the scene. And the rest of it, the camera was on her, not on me anyway. And you didn't even notice Right. the things that we were struggling with. It was utterly gone. Right. And it reminded me of the miracle of editing and the fact that right. this is not a live performance in front of an audience. Right. This is about creating pieces of film that some editor's going to make a performance out of. Right. And that your job is to be alive for all those takes so that when they go into that editing room, whatever they use is going to look pretty good.
0: Right. I love that. I, I want to see if you relate to something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, it was sort of, I mentioned going to the Actors Fund, and I took a financial managing cash flow for artists course there uh, with a woman named Miata Idoga, who's like my Oprah. Mm. But one of the things that we talked about is like as actors and how do you manage it when it's off and on. Um, is sometimes we feel that if we can do anything else that pays us or if we enjoy anything else, we're somehow betraying our calling. And therefore, the show business gods won't shine on us, and we won't catch that break because I happen to like babysitting, or you know what I mean. Right. And I, I think we believe there's a car, a, a devotion that's going to be rewarded, an emotional devotion. Right. I don't think there is. I think it's a lot more practical. What works for you, and sometimes if you do something else and you do it well, it makes you more interesting. And yeah. In other words, it's not. You're not cheating, on your art. Right. If, if you, if you. Do what you need to do. Yeah. And if you enjoy it, heaven forbid. Right. Right? Right. Um, yeah. I, I, do I, you relate I, to any of these ideas? I do.
1: I do. There's there's actually a whole chapter on on those kind of jobs. Yeah. And I even talk about a couple of jobs that I had. And then I ask a whole bunch of very established people about what like, what was the worst job you ever had. Or the right. Worst whatever. And it was hilarious what people had done to support right. their art form. Right. And what I believe about it, because I've actually lived it, was when I went went in to audition for Boston Legal, I based that character on someone that I had worked for when I was in drama school. Right. And I would not have had that guy in my head had I not been... Out in the world in that way. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of always feel like most of the people I know, honestly, are people who are kind of related to my business in some way, shape, or form, but they're not in it. And it's kind of nice to be out in the world once in a while among civilians. Right. Because when we are acting, we're mostly playing civilians and they lead very different lives. They have much more probably practical and modest dreams than right. than we're working with and it's interesting to kind of remember that and be exposed to it once in a while so I in a lot of ways I tell people I know you think this is a big interruption of your you know artistic life but it's actually not right it's
0: the worst thing that can happen that you're not doing the thing that you you know yeah it's
1: not right it is not right you Uh, can um, do
0: both and I would argue that in some ways having that other thing actually helps you because you're able to hang in longer yeah without losing your mind yeah you know, without starving or without yeah. like, you know, we are a little bit like I took this part time job at Big Barrel just a couple days, just, but it like helps my nervous system because yeah. it's, it's fair. And no matter, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you you're go right. in, you do the you're thing, right. and you leave. You're right. And nobody there is driven by fear. Right. Is there's is there something like I just kind of do it once in a while because it, it's like, I don't know why, it's just, it, it, it feels like the opposite of what I've been experiencing in yep. a way that, that was healthy for me. Well, in, in terms of my mind. And
1: and there is a practical reason. You do have to pay your bills. You have to right. have a stabilized life in some way. So, right. yes, absolutely, if you're going to do it, then I, I, you might as well find something redeeming about it. Right. And like I said, you, it's nice to take a break from it. Right. Because it's nice to have a little life so that when you go back to create life in your art, you've got some reference and You've got right. a little life to put into your work, which is good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of it.
0: Right. Um, if I were asked by somebody younger, like, how would I succeed as a writer or whatever, I would talk to them about fostering resilience.
2: Yeah.
0: Learning when something doesn't go your way, how do you handle it? What's the story you tell yourself? And yeah. get, develop a muscle for doing that that is the most, uh, that will allow you to get up the next day and keep going. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that is for you. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense?
1: Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I, it's funny. Uh, writing this book, it was kind of a remarkable experience because I had to go back to the beginning of my career, which was a long damn time ago. Right. And then chart my way all the way through to the present. Right. And it was, and also the process of writing this book. Well, you know what this is like because you've right. been through it more than once. But I would have editors and they would sort of say, oh, well, you know, maybe we should, maybe we could sort of soft pedal this or whatever, as they sometimes do. And I said, you know what, instead of soft pedaling it, I'm just going to replace it with something else. Right. And they would panic and say, no, 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 that's not what we ask. And I said, trust me, it'll be better if I replace it with something new. Right. And they, and then I would turn that around and hand it back to them in like 24 to 48 hours, and they would be amazed by right. that. And and my journey in show business has taught me that there is more than one idea. Right. And you can, and you, if something does not work for whatever reason you can come up with another way of coming at it. Right, if
0: you don't freak out.
1: Right. I mean, you you have more than one idea in you, and you may not have it this second, but when you sit down and go to work, it will come to you. Right. It it doesn't... You can't sort of wait for it. You have to work for it, but it, it will come to you. It always does. And when you know that, there's not such a panic you don't feel like oh my god I'll never have another job again right It says yes you will I will have another job again and it yeah. will arrive when it arrives but in the meantime I'm still a creative artist and I right. can do this and I can do I can make myself I can create venues by which I can practice what I do and be happy right I can do it so it was kind of a... It just was... I almost wanted to pat myself on the back and say, good for you, David. Yeah, you really no, did. You really did learn that because a lot of people, they panic and they freeze and nothing happens then.
0: Right. And you just take a step back and come at it in a different way. Um, talk to me about optimism. That's another thing I've, I've sort of done some reading and studying on in the last few years. Yeah. This idea that that people that are optimistic, maybe they're not seeing things the way they really are, uh-huh. but they do better. They do cause better. Because they keep going. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. so I try to be optimistic even when the part of me that's been around a while and can kind of see the lay of the land and, yeah. I, you know, and I'm not wrong. Yes. But it doesn't serve you if yeah. you want to keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I,
1: I, the word that I would use, actually, and I guess yeah. maybe this is because my father was a minister. Not right. That, you I, know. I wrote
0: that down. Thank, Thank you. I'm
1: intrigued. Um, is I, I did not particularly, you know, I wasn't particularly somebody who believed the same things he believed. Right. But I did grow up in an atmosphere of faith. Right. But and things I be- will work out. Things will work out. And there are things that will arrive that you cannot see yet, you know? And when I... But I do believe that. I mean, I guess I think I've based a lot of my decisions on that. And uh, and, and that, that faith is based on experience, do you know what right. I mean? And it's based on skill. It's not just like airy-fairy, let me just, you know, wear, right. rattle the beads and light the candles and, you know, assume that some entity is going to come along and save right. me. But a kind of a faith in creativity. Yeah. And a faith in if I put good things into the well, when I go to the well, I will be able to take good things out.
0: Right. Maybe not when I, when I think it's going to happen mm-hmm. or maybe I have to hang in there a while. Uh-huh. Um, what do, you, do, you, do you ever see this? Like, people that are really established, that uh-huh. are really successful... Will say, um, if you're really good, you're gonna make it no matter what. Like, like in other words, the cream always rises to the top. And da da da. I think it's possible to be really good. And never rise to the top. Yes, that's correct. I believe that. That's correct. But the people that are successful, they think it always rises to the top. Right. So I just wanted you to vote, and I just wanted you to back me um, on the that's,
1: <laughs> that's exactly right, and that is that is their experience. Right. No, There's, and I
0: understand why they think that way. I don't think badly of them, but I just, I if I took that on, I would feel very badly about right, myself. Right,
1: right. I mean, there are I people, you know, who get off the bus, and they just yeah. sit down their suitcase, and right. CAA signs them, and that's yeah. it, you know? Uh, and you know what And good for them and I understand why because they are probably gifted with unbelievable sexiness or charisma or humor or
0: something that is just oozing out of them right and who wouldn't scoop them up and it's undeniable talk about social media because you probably didn't have to deal with when you were coming up but now it's something (laughs) it is talk about comparing yourself yeah and I used to call Facebook uh, my nickname for it is oh look who's doing good in show business today right right you know Um, pulling onto the lot click right (laughs) dream come true click blessed living the dream writer's room (laughs) blessed you know and I'm like booked booked it booked booked it it. I know (laughs) that's gonna be the name of this podcast I come up with a different episode oh god we relate Um, so much but like um, I've stopped to I've tried to stop myself from scrolling yeah like I, I will I use it for different things I think there's Good things about it, whatever. Right. But in terms of like my own mood, it can right. bum me out. I know. Yeah. How do you manage that, and what do you say about it in the book?
1: Um, I, I, it's it's reality now. There's yep. no there's no not using it. I right. don't think now because you do need to have some sort of presence. Not so much. I'm honestly, I think it's more there as opposed to being discovered there. It's more likely. That's, that opportunities may come up from some other place and then They'll the potential employer may then go look for you and it's right. what you have hanging out there in cyberspace right. that may... Reinforce what they're looking for? Exactly, yeah. precisely. But I, I'm not sure... I don't I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really gotten a job because of social media exactly, yeah. but I have gotten... Uh, I've gotten fans, I've gotten... People have said when I've walked into the room, oh, I looked you up and found out about you. But usually they heard about me elsewhere or something. Anyway, it's a fact. And we do have to have an online presence just so there's some part of our personality out there. Right. And, And I always tell people... Make sure it's not all your credits, like make sure it's not just that, let let there be some part of your human, your dog, something, something about you that's actually your humor, your background, the things you believe in, the things you're interested in, your hobbies, you know, whatever they may be, so that there's some sense of who you are as a person, not just your, like you, here I am on a red carpet again, you know, yeah. I think that's uninteresting in the end, and is, and I think they're more likely to be intrigued by a human presence there if they can find it. Right. So you got to manage what you're putting up there a little bit and be a little aware of it. And I, and I'll, the other thing I will say is, I talk about the I teach this audition seminar, and I was talking right. about, you know, the the reality of it, just the reality of the experience. And when I go into audition for a job, there's usually about eight names. Like if I'm the last one of the day, there's like eight names ahead of me. And you see list. them. And I see who auditioned for this. And there's some kick-ass people in my category, some really great people. Right. And I used to look at that and feel kind of intimidated by it. And now I don't because I think, wow, look at the company I'm in. Right. You know what I mean? I'm in this great category. And truthfully, there's not a person on this list that doesn't deserve this job. Right. You know? So if I don't get it, I at least have the satisfaction of knowing somebody great got it. Right. And it's not my day today, but it will be my day. Right. I'm on this list. Because I'm on this list, it's going to be my day. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's how you approach it now. It is. And it kind of helps me, and I kind of take that approach yeah. with social media a little bit. And I also do not, like, I, just, I haven't read the trades in quite some time. Right. Because it feels like a list of parties that I was not invited to. <laughs> exactly. And so I just kind of protect myself a little bit yeah. with that. Yeah, you've got
0: you to. Gotta, you've got to, like not get distracted by that stuff yeah
1: and anytime I start feeling that Dennis I just I I tend to like click out of Facebook and back into some file of something that I am working on that is my work right because really if I'm working on my work and I'm moving it forward toward doing it or producing it or, or showing it
0: I'm much happier right I really am one of the things I have been reading about in the last few years is this idea of positive psychology, and yeah. they, they, one of the things that they say make people happy in life in a general way is engagement. Sure. So if you can be engaged in something, yeah. regardless of if it sells or whatever, if you had that day, then you were engaged. You're you're ahead of the game. Absolutely. I try to think of that when I'm working on that thing that may or may not ever go anywhere. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. There's there's something. Uh, I talk about this with people too when they when they sort of. You know, some pe- people get derailed sometimes. They have right. something that happens in their life, and then they got to address that for a while, and they can't really do their art, and they feel like they'll never get back. And, right. and I, I always say—
0: And that they feel like the showbiz gods are keeping score of that sure, stuff.
1: Sure, You know? Um, and what I tell people uh, is—and this is true. I've both lived it and I've seen it—is sometimes you can take something really shitty that happened in your life and then it'll go in the memory bank and you can create a piece of art with it later right you can draw on that experience and create something really truthful and interesting or funny or heartbreaking or whatever right because you had that experience right and then there's something when you do that you you brought a little truth into the process you brought a little truth onto the screen or on stage and somebody's going to see that they're going to recognize that truth they're going to see their own lives in it and everybody is a little fixed by that right you know what I mean that there's something in the act of creating that's just sort of healing for everybody in the room. Yeah, you know what I mean everybody inside of it is it's a, a little, win-win. It is, I believe. I yeah, think, I think we're kind of I think we're kind of in the mental health business, honestly.
0: Yeah, our that's own, a great way to look at it. our own
1: and <laughs> exactly. everyone else's. Yeah, you know? and yeah. Uh, but there's something about doing this if you're called to it
0: that it's I don't know. It's important. I think it's an important job.
2: Yeah, it's a tough job, but it's an important
1: job.
0: Did you ever have a point where you're just like, "Fuck this, I have, I'm out"? I have. What are they like?
1: Um, they are um, they are this feeling of having been cheated. You know, it's yeah. like you know, I, unfair. I it's unfair. It's so unfair, right? And
0: you know, I know, and I know my life isn't more unfair than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. I know I'm meant to believe that, yeah. but secretly. I think yeah. if there were a way to measure it, my number would be up there. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, that's kind of what I sure. <laughs> but that, but, but you know, that's not a great way to think. It's not a healthy way to think, and it may not. It's probably not even accurate. Right. But that's the way it feels sometimes. It
1: does. So, it does. Yeah. This feeling of being robbed. You know, that Speaking somehow. Being a therapy, I'm.
0: You're my therapist. Well, okay. Well done. <laughs> we're working out. a Good lot. Good choice.
1: You, picking me was an excellent yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh I, I there's this feeling. Of, you know, like I said, that you got robbed somehow. Yeah. You know, or maybe you robbed yourself, which is the worst feeling. Oh like, yeah. Like oh, oh my god, I just wasted all. All this time and right. I could have done I could have been a doctor I could have been a lawyer right, I, could, right. I could have been something
0: I could have been like all those people that are thinking about retiring now mm-hmm. that are like my age are, right. and I'm like well, I'm it's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> sure but you I also think I also believe that there's something about aspiring mm. that keeps you young and it does in a way like I, I feel like there's a it's frustrating but I don't feel like oh I've done it all and blah, blah, you know Sick a pin in me, I'm done. Right, no. Um, um, yeah.
2: If, if you,
1: you know, if you, if you want to do this and actually, like, if, if you want to make money at it and you want to uh, be good at it and have people interested, you have to you have to stay awake.
2: Yeah. You have to
1: stay awake and you have to stay, it, everything, everything that's written, everything that's produced is some reflection of whatever the fuck is happening in the world right now. Right. It is. And if you're not kind of tuned into the world, if you're not curious about the world, you right. got a problem right away. Yeah. Because... You won't bring that sensibility into that audition, or you won't bring it into that work, yeah. and you probably won't get that job. You don't have to love everything that's going on in the world, right. but you at least have to have a response to it. Do you know what I mean? You got. If you're going to be an artist, you got to respond to the world you live in. You can't just stay stick in your apartment and yell at your TV all night. You know, yeah. it's not going to work. You won't be any good as an artist. You got to. You got to have at least some curiosity about how it got that way or how it could go a different way. Yeah. And when you when you got that going on, you do stay viable. You get to be Betty White. You know what I mean? just you, yeah. you get to be viable till you drop. Right.
0: I God, love it. What if she drops ballboard Oh my God! God forbid! What don't say things that? like that. I know it's, too frightening. Frightening. it's horrible. It's too frightening to think, think of the world without Betty. When you had moments where you're like fed up and I'm over it, what got you out of it?
1: Work. And Finding I, I need something to work on. I don't mean you know being paid work, yeah. but but
0: work.
2: I something to work on. There, there is.
1: Too. I I am of the belief that I am not you know the, some of the work that I do like you know when I played Father O'Brien on Mistresses, right. That wasn't exactly high art, right? Do you mean right? But it, it paid the bills for that week. Right. But I could not have done that job had I not been an artist. Right. So I got to have that skill in play to do some of the things that I do to make rent. Right. But I can also go out and do something like my spoken word show or right. street tees. Or right. I remember street
0: tees you did out of Africa I did. with puppets. I did. It was a show where we, we had people on the podcast about it, where uh, men perform Meryl Street monologues. Mm-hmm. Did you always do Out of Africa? I did. I always yeah. did Out of Africa. And you had puppets. It was amazing.
1: <laughs> it was a tour de force. Thank you. Um, I did the entire plot of Out of Africa, which is like a three-hour movie, yeah. in six minutes. Yeah. And I had two actors assisting me with that. But it yeah. was it was fant- it was one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. Was that show? It was yeah. hilarious. That show.
0: You know, it looked like people were having a blast. Oh my God! Yeah. It was
1: amazing. It yeah. was absolutely amazing. And again, that was one of those you know stick your yeah. neck out moments because. Yeah. Uh, Roy Cruz who uh, originated that show yeah. came up to me in the gym and I did not know him right. and he had seen me on something and he uh, said I'm doing this show right. uh, and he just told me what it was and as soon as he said it I laughed out loud Right, and I thought I don't know this guy but that is such a funny idea that I'd be dumb to say no to it. Yeah. And then it became this thing that my God, I did it for years. I yeah. literally did that show for years. Was out of
0: Africa the first thing you thought of
2: when you thought about doing one? It yeah. was.
1: We all were supposed to pick a Meryl Street movie that we loved. And I love movies about Africa in general. Right. And so that one had always stuck with me and I hadn't seen it in years. Right. And then I sat down and watched it, and of course it was like, you know, eighteen hours long and I right. thought and there's no monologues in it. I thought, <laughs> oh okay. Okay. So out of that came the idea of maybe I can squeeze the whole movie into six minutes and see
0: how it goes. But it was pretty fun. Oh my god. I I love it's that stuff. Fun. Well, yeah. sometimes it's those things that kind of keep you going. They're that, they're 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 creative and they're fun. Nobody's making a ton of money. That
1: nobody's getting discovered. Oh my god! Well, I'll tell you, that show became such a phenomenon that right. so many people in the show business world came to see it. It was amazing. Right. And I got quite a bit of work because of that show.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! I did,
1: and I got my first directing job because of that show.
0: That's cool. What was the directing job?
1: Um, The directing job was a a production. It was an equity theater. It was a production of uh, Travels with My Aunt, that Graham Greene novel. had been adapted to the stage. And they needed somebody that was going to work with four actors who were going to play like 50 characters or something. And because of what I had done with Out of Africa and the puppets and the whole, like doing all the stuff I did, they thought of me. They thought that you could do that. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. It was incredible. It was my first time to direct professionally in an equity theater. Right. So it was an amazing experience. It really was I love that. Yeah.
0: What's something in the book that you feel could start out this way? Nobody ever tells you, but da-da-da. Do you know what I'm asking? <laughs> I do. Yeah.
1: Um, I do. Um, I, I'm going to I'm gonna vote for... I mean, there's a lot of stuff, I think, honestly. like I, the, I, the
0: book has that feel, and I wasn't able to get super far into it, but yeah, it has no, that no. feel of like, um, I'm going to level with you. I think
1: there's a lot of things in there. Um, yeah. You know, uh, w- one of them has to do with, you know, the, the reality of change, that, you yeah. know, you're signing up for a career. If you're going to be a plumber... You're basically going to be doing plumbing for the rest yeah. of your life. If you sign up for this job, it's going to it's gonna change every five years. The job requirements are going to change. You're the clay out of which everything is made. Right. And your clay is going to change every right. five years. Yeah. Your emotional clay, your physical clay, it's all going to change. Right. So you're in, a, in this position of always adapting to the new job requirements. Right. And people don't really tell you that. You don't know what that really means in the long run. And, and they also don't tell you or explain to you, that you have to have ego to do this job, you've got to have it. Now you've got to keep it in check, but right. you have to have ego. You've got to have enough balls to say, yeah, please, by all means, point that camera at me yeah. right now, and I'm just keep it on me, and something's gonna, I'm gonna happen. Fucking knock yourself Something's up. gonna happen here. Right. So watch me. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say is, uh, I, the last chapter of the book is about how. Um, You know, it it recounts this story about me being approached by a fan, and I thought that she was going to do the usual Boston legal thing, which by that time I was a little tired of. I was just trying to buy my groceries in a store, and I didn't want to talk about how great William Shatner is. I just wanted to buy my groceries and leave. Yeah. And it turns out she was not stopping me because of that. She was stopping me because she'd seen me in a play in 1985. Wow. In Buffalo, New York. Amazing. It was Amazing. What and did she
0: say? Did she remember the title? She remembered and- everything.
1: Yeah. And and it was Midsummer Night's Dream, and it was this particular sequence in the play where I... It was a bit that I did in the play where I was one of the rude mechanicals, and I was the guy that had to do the drag part. Right. In, and I had asked the costumer to make me a, a dress that was too tight that I couldn't sit down right. in. And so I did this shtick every night where I could not sit down in the dress... And the audience, like, ate it with a spoon. Right. And I milked that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I milked it. I kept that laugh going for about 60 seconds, right. bet, or longer. And that's what she remembered. And she was saying, I can't tell you how many times in the last 25 years I have laughed myself to sleep thinking about that.
0: Wow. Right. What a gift you've given her.
1: It. Well, you know what? She gave me a pretty big gift that yeah. day as well because I left there thinking about how... You always think that you know the things you do that you're know, seen by a million matter. people. Yeah. You know what I mean, that's thought counts. It's ten million people saw it. That it counts. And the reality is, if you do it well, it doesn't matter where the fuck you do it. Right. You can do it on TV or do it in a basement somewhere. If you do it well. Somebody in that audience will remember it till the day they die. Right. And that's incredibly profound, yeah. actually. There's
0: value in that. There's huge value in that. No matter the that. scale. And
1: yeah, that what makes it art. And yeah. it makes it something that, that's worth preserving and worth right. being good at, you know? Yeah.
0: What have you observed as an actor going into rooms about how people are approaching GLBT issues and actors and stuff like that? Has it changed a lot in the last... It feels like it has from the outside.
1: It's changed enormously. That there's
0: less. People are less uptight about things, and people have more. Um, I, I don't know. There's there's less. People just seem less angsty about it. That there's more. People are allowed to be, be, all over the spectrum. I, well,
1: yeah. I mean, they're seeking it now. Yeah. And they're literally openly seeking it now. Right. And in the old days, it was it was so. If they were, it had to be so subtle. You know, right. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or you were playing the tragic fag, and then yeah. it was right out there. But in the old days, when you were a gay actor, there—I mean, I—I don't—I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but I—I I do feel like there was a certain pressure when you went into the room to try to kind of stay neutral in don't some way. Don't blow it, right? Don't like, don't don't, don't give wave, yourself away. Don't wave your hands around a lot, right? And don't don't let your voice go too high. And and certainly,
0: don't dance to the music don't you hear from down the, the hall. Don't dance to the
1: music, and do not, you know, cross your legs at the knee right. in front of these people, right? Because you don't
0: want to give them anything to.
1: Right. You don't want to no, know, let, let's not make anybody uncomfortable and right. maybe they'll hire me for this. Right. And that is, thank God, gone. Right. Um, and That's incredible. It is incredible. That is incredible. And I feel
0: relaxed. I feel relief for my friends that go in.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's a new day in that front and also... There's no television show, no television show that could be on the air longer than six episodes without having a gay character. Right. I mean, it's not possible anymore. Right. That's that's just part of every plot line somewhere. Right. Within the first six episodes, someone's going to be gay. Right. And and now we've got enough of a kind of a lobby that whatever this is, it's going to be... There's going to be some dignity in it somehow, even if right. it's something comedic. They're going to do something that's yeah. going to give that person at least a couple of dimensions, so they're not just the hairdresser or the right. interior decorator joke. You know, yeah. it's nice. It's a new day. That's it's, awesome. It's, it's much better. It must better. be heartening to see. Oh my God! Yeah. Yes, it's great. What does teaching give you? Oh wow, um, teaching gives me this wonderful opportunity to be completely separated from show business.
0: I don't mean to laugh But I just feel like Oh yes That That's interesting Because it's not unrelated It's related But you feel Separated from show business
1: You're you're just talking about The skills That are gonna Make you Able to create You know and that's all we're talking about. We're just trying to figure out the creative process
0: of this. And you can you can keep it that separate. That's awesome. You can.
1: I mean, you you, you kind of... you Matter of fact, in, mostly in my classrooms, and I teach at conservatories, yeah. that's all they really want to know right, right. then. They, that's they what it's about. They don't panic until later when they're graduating and go, oh my God, what's the show business part? Yeah. And and I don't... And the hard part is you can't really teach show business, you know right. what I mean? It's what it teaches you. Yeah. But the biggest thing that I try to tell people, and I do this in the audition workshop, is I say... You know what it, the deal is is these people like you know we all kind of rail against you know typecasting and the way that casting directors operate and the way that you know it, it, the whole thing is kind of so categorized and all right. that but that's the casting director's job is to categorize actors that's right. their job because they got to quickly throw together these lists they got to quickly cast things they're under the same pressure that everybody's under these days because right. it's also corporate now yeah. they're being squeezed to do more work in less time and that—that's their job. Is to figure out what, what can I do with this person, right? And and yeah, they're gonna—they're gonna type you in some way. They're gonna type you in whatever way they think you're good at, right? And that's what you'll come in for initially. Yeah. That will change later, but at the beginning, you got to remember, like like when you go out to sell your goods, make sure yeah. you know what your goods are, so, yeah. so you can sell them, and then you can go, you know, play Ophelia at night. Yeah. <laughs> and then during the day you're gonna be the teenager yeah. in the you know, with her backpack slamming her locker on the TV show or something, you know? Exactly. And it's not high art, but it's a paycheck and yeah. it's gonna create more work later. Yeah. And it may get way may way, way more interesting along the line right. if you know how to do those roles, you know? Right. So it's it's I always try to remind them there's the art part and then there's the job part. And really, they can have a happy intersection, right. if, if you don't panic about it and don't right. don't make a lot of assumptions that this is some sentence that you've just been given that you can't get out of. Now you're gonna be locked
0: in that prison forever. You won't. Right. I love that. My friend and I have this word called we we call it melisma, <laughs> and that means we just we have kind of like um, show business depression. Sure. You know, like oh, what's, how? What how are you doing? I'm. I, I got a touch of melisma this morning. When I... <laughs> When I saw that Greg Berlanti sold another 28 shows. You know, whatever it is. Sure. So I I just love that word. Because it sounds like, that sounds like what it would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. just a feeling. I like it. Okay, here are the the questions you picked Uh from the observation deck. We're going to go through these. Okay. What movie did you see when you were way too young to see it? Viva Las Vegas. With Anne Margaret? Yes. And what was, an Elvis.
1: I got so excited I had to put my head between my knees. It was just too much? (laughs) It was too much. When she danced and she had that orange hair, it was well, like that, too that, much. That move that she, she does, she came like right, right out of the screen at you. The and way
0: it, she moved was extraordinary because it looked a little spastic in a yeah. way, and yet it was so artful and specific and her and sexy.
1: I had never i was a I was a preacher's kid. I'd never seen anything like and it. It's just not it, too. I had to put my head between my knees. <laughs> I did. I was overcome. Were you at the movies? Or I was. I religion? was in the front
0: row. Oh shit. Oh, crazy how'd you learn the facts of life
1: uh, from my sister who told me that it was just like dogs
0: <laughs> so, that's it this is, all, this is all you need to know did you believe it I had no choice but yeah, to believe it yeah you bought it. It. it
1: there was no one else to ask
0: just like dogs <laughs> <laughs> I still wouldn't have known what that, that would have meant though I don't know if I've ever anyway that's you know what it's better than no talk at it all is, it is which is what I got if you had to change careers tomorrow what would you pursue
1: I would be a music teacher
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a cool thing to teach because whatever you do in life, you can always have music if you can make music.
0: And music is, is, I think it has a shortcut to the soul in a way that other art forms have to... It does. Have to work a little harder to connect that way. I
1: think it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I would love to teach people something they can hang yeah. on to their whole lives like that. And I
0: when I see musicians interviewed and they talk about the business and the ups and downs, you know, that I always have the music. Like yeah. there's a purity to the just the oh, yeah. stuff itself. My, my
1: mother played the piano and it was a very beautiful yeah. thing, you know.
0: Love it. What's the most embarrassing CD or download you have in your collection? <laughs>
1: Um, The Osmonds Live.
0: I love the fucking (laughs) Osmonds so much. (laughs) They're the best. I have so many Osmond CDs. They're the best. Donny Osmond's voice. Oh, he's amazing. I love the quality of his voice. beautiful. His Broadway album. I love it. Uh, What was the first concert you went to?
1: oh it was a cover band it was a deep purple cover band that played at my junior high wow and they played Smoke on the Water (laughs) they
0: were a cover band at your junior high yes I love it was it exciting it was so
1: exciting people were into it I'd never been to anything as sinful as a concert before I'd lived a very pure life and I snuck out to go
0: when growing up as a minister's kid, did you kind of want to seek out those more worldly things and experiences? Did you um, feel did you feel constricted? I guess.
1: Um, you know, my my there's all kinds of you know ministers' kids and all kinds of churches and all kinds of stuff. The what one church we, was it. This was the this was the uh, uh, the Assembly of God, and it's very hardcore, and right. it was it was it was painful, it was really not, there was nothing really happy about it, it was all just like how awful everything was, and we all kind of hated it, truthfully, and we hated each other and we hated ourselves and and we were all sort of told that, you know, life is horrible, but don't worry, you'll die someday and then things will be great once you're dead and there was something about that that after about age 12 I just didn't kind of buy plus I was gay yeah. and I knew that you know, there was no place for me in that right. world and so I started looking for an escape hatch pretty fast Right. and I was climbing out of my bedroom window pretty soon after that to oh, go and cool. do go things. Oh cool, go do fun things? Mm-hmm. Like what? Go to concerts? Like go to cover, co-
0: <laughs> cover, cover band I concerts like at,
1: at the junior high.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Alright, what's the worst costume or uniform you've had to wear for work?
1: Oh, I used to do catering jobs on Ellis Island and it was for big, you know, corporate jobs. Yeah and it, the theme was always the same which is foods from many lands right. so you had to wear whatever a costume you, that matched like the your the Epcot center <laughs> of
0: <laughs> catering
1: and so sometimes I was you know a Russian Cossack and right. I was serving potato soup or something and sometimes I was serving Mexican food with a sombrero right. on it was just the worst I mean the
0: tweets about that now would be <laughs> your, your, your career would be over. you better hope there's not pictures or sure not can I tell you I was in the show Anything Goes in college sure do you know there's the two Asian guys that are oh, like of course. Down in the, yeah. I ended up being one of, of them course you did. and i think i might have used a different kind of makeup of to course do you that did. i'm
1: sure you did yeah but exciting
0: you know just do what the, you do with the gig is. it's exactly. the gig do you collect anything
1: oh uh yeah regrets
0: <laughs> where do you keep them <laughs>
1: in my heart yes <laughs> that's right do
0: you have a lot of regrets um i i think it's hard to get through life
1: without some regrets yeah you yeah know? yeah
0: it's how you learn yeah, yeah
1: you know you you did what you did at the time but yeah. it's hard not to look back and go gee that was stupid
0: it's hard to know yeah what's your favorite song to dance to
1: oh uh, that uh, that Hall & Oates song uh, you, you Make My Dreams Come True oh yeah I like in song. 500
0: Days of Summer yeah, it's very happy oh my god I love that yeah. song it's one of the ones that when you think of Hall & Oates at their prime when they had all the hits it wasn't the one that popped but it's the one that aged the best
1: yeah I love that song
0: yeah Kiss on My List was probably a bigger hit. Yeah,
1: but not as but, but
0: now, yeah. not yeah. as much. I, although I love that song too. Uh, when was the time in your life when you were in the right place at the right time?
1: Mm. Uh Well... The uh, Elevator. The Elevator. The Elevator, for sure. Yeah. And then I just, I just had an experience like that where I just have a new manager now right. that I just signed back in uh, December and it happened because... I was walking home uh, in December, I was, it was, uh, I was happy, it was cold, it was late at night, and I right. thought I was totally alone on my street, right. so I started to sing because I was happy. Wow. And all of a sudden I heard this voice behind me that said, you have a beautiful voice. And out of nowhere this woman had appeared. And we wound up in conversation and she turned out to be a manager and four days later she was my manager.
0: That's an amazing story. That is an
1: amazing story. And, and what I love about that story if I may say yeah. is that uh, the reason that I met her was because I was happy in my life I yeah. was thinking about my show I was thinking about my boyfriend I was thinking about my block that I like in New right. York I was thinking about all the changes I'd made that had really worked out well yeah. and I was happy and I started to, to sing and because well, I I'm singing, I had no idea right. I had no memory of what it was but I was singing and I was so startled because I thought I was alone it was like she came out of the twilight zone she just appeared suddenly behind me because I looked behind me before I started to sing, right, and there was nobody there, and then suddenly she was there. So it, it was like a dream or something, but it, that's
0: actually what happened. That is truthfully what happened. Wow, that's an amazing story. Isn't that amazing? I love that. And you're still working with her. I am, yeah. It's going yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. We're just going it. great. Who's the most famous or memorable person you've been in an elevator with?
1: Warren Baiting. <gasps> that's good. Yeah, Where was, were you? Uh, in New York. This was yeah. many years ago when he was like super hot. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that he still isn't, Warren. We still I, love yeah, you. You're still super hot
0: fan of the podcast um so <laughs> not anymore though so where were you you were in new york just was in, in new an york. office building
1: i was no i was in the Ansonia, i think okay. one of those old buildings on the upper west side and yeah. he was with diane she was there too diane keaton was there too she's oh, pretty nice. amazing too yeah. but at that moment it was he he was That's the it. one that caught my attention because wow. you know he was so stunning at the time and you were just like i wanted to on? talk to them but i That's... didn't have the guts yeah. at the time
2: yeah
0: it's hard to know what celebrity death hit you the hardest
1: well, you know what? I, the reason I pull that card is because I'm at an age right now where all the people who were on TV when I was a kid are dropping dead daily. Right.
0: It's a lot, right? And so,
1: I, I, I mean, it's just been like, just over and over again, like just somebody that Lawrence was Florence Henderson. Right. Or somebody that was some regular on like F Troop or whatever yeah. is suddenly dead. And I'm like, oh no. Right. Oh my God, not him. Right. You know? So that every day it's like another nightmare pops up on social media that another yeah. person that mattered to me suddenly is gone. So yeah. they've been a lot lately.
0: Yeah. What was the first album, cassette, CD, or MP3 that you bought?
1: Um, uh, Portrait by The Fifth Dimension.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I That's love... kind of cool. Kind of a little edgy. <laughs> yeah, The Fifth Dimension right. is super edgy.
1: Right. <laughs> wow. Well. Um, it had Puppet Man on it, and yeah. it had One Less Bell to Answer on right. it. And, and it had interestingly enough it had the declaration of independence on it there was a musical version of the declaration of independence I mean, literally
0: with all the words yeah
1: not the entire thing but the big right. the preamble right. and they, they had put it to music Maybe. and they sang it and to this day I know the preamble because right. I, I listened to that album so many years ago we hold these truths that we put self-evident that all men are created equal um, I, know the whole, I know the whole deal um, I can sing
0: it <laughs> I, I had a side thought was it, a, it was an album right mm-hmm. yeah um, I here's an idea you can put this in your next book. Okay. I I think it was when I was doing maybe it was Blake MacIver. Somebody I interviewed recently when I said we're doing we did a sound check. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we just need to say can you say a few words? And he just started saying this thing that was very entertaining. And I thought, oh that's a fun thing to have in your back pocket. The fun thing you say during the sound check. Yeah. It'll people will remember. Anyway.
1: Okay, I'll do that from but now that on. For the <laughs> I'll do, Stop I'll, the presses. Declaration of independence right. from now
0: on. Um, what's the worst thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? <laughs>
1: I was in a play at this very prestigious um, theater festival at the Actors Theater of Louisville. It's a big deal right. back east.
0: And you grew up in Kentucky, right? I did. Yeah. I did.
1: And this, this I got out of New York. It had nothing to do with being from Kentucky, but it just happened to be in Louisville. Right. But uh, I was in this play, and I had to do a bedroom scene. Right. And in the play, we started out with a blank carpet, and little by little, we carried or rolled the furniture on until we had a complete living room and house, basically. Right. It was cool. And in this one, I was supposed to roll this bed out, open it up, take off my clothes and get in it. And have this love scene with this girl. And then I went back, I came running backstage and the bed wasn't there. There was no bed. So I had to go out without the bed. And usually, in this monologue, you know, I was unfolding the bed and I was talking to the audience and all that. And, um, And then I would get undressed for bed. I'd take my clothes off and get into the bed. So I went out there and I kept... There was no bed. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to keep going. We'll figure it out. And I started taking my clothes off, and the audience, I could just feel them just pulling back because they had no idea what I was taking why my is clothes he doing off. That? <laughs> How far is he going to go? Right,
0: and there's. He, what is that? And,
1: and I heard this frantic, crazy shit happening backstage as they yeah. tried to find the bed. But we wound up having to play this bed scene with no bed. We played right. it on laying on the carpet. Yeah. Uh, it was a little strange, but, you know.
0: Did you that's get as naked as you would have gotten? I went. Yeah, you, I, I, we went down went to our all, underwear. You went all the way. You went as far as you yeah. would have gone anyway. Yeah. Right. But that you know what? It's called being a professional. Get, <laughs> yes, it snow is. went on.
1: Yes, it is. Yes. It totally did.
0: So how can people learn more about your book?
1: Um, well, they can learn more by going to the website, which is www. I guess I don't need to say that anymore, right? I, I like just, it, though. I just
0: aged myself. That's
2: all right. I have an AOL email address,
0: which I only use <laughs> for, for, certain <laughs> for certain things, certain for spam. <laughs> Okay, so the book. There is a
1: website for the yeah. book, which is workingactorthebook.com. dot com.
0: Nice, great.
1: Yeah, they'll tell you something about it, and yeah, it's, it's going great. It's actually going great. It is, it's terrific. It's going doing well on Amazon. It's well, getting great reviews.
0: Just the parts that I've read, I feel like it speaks to people that aren't just actors. I think it's, I think Thank it's you. about how to live a creative life and not go crazy. Yeah. Right. What oh, do you no. hope people get from it?
1: Well, you know, I, I hope people get exactly what you just said, but I right. also, uh, a lot of people have commented, who have read it, who are not actors, that it's kind of timely because of the gig economy that we're in right, right now, because it, actors and writers and people in our profession, we endlessly freelance. Right. And we have to adjust our psychology around that. When I know? look
0: at the, I'm doing my taxes now, and when I look at the people that paid me last year, yeah. they're not paying me this year. Yeah. And I'm like, no wonder I'm exhausted. I've been doing this thing every time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I just have the bands.
1: Of course. But I think there's something to be said for learning about how people really sort of incorporate into their lives. It, 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 it's a given. You know? Right. I don't blink an eye about the fact that I'm a freelance artist for 35 years. Right. You know? It's just my life. Right. And so if you're joining that economy... If you're going to be in it. you got to make peace with it. that's what our future is, if everybody's yeah. going to be working that way, there's a lot you can learn from how actors work and how we keep ourselves viable and creative and interested and psychologically prepared and cra- to do not this. And not drive yourself crazy. And from a creative standpoint... One of the things I say in this book, and I have a lot... I mean, I talk about not only just being a performer, but performers now do other things, and the industry is changing a lot. And my favorite new job description is content provider right and I think everybody now should at least try that hat on right and if you are lousy at that right then go make friends with somebody who is not right because it appears to me that that is the future That's the way of, of the future. everything
0: well I noticed on your list you were in a project called American Coco yeah uh, by D.R. Kelpatrick, a friend of mine and a former podcast guest and she's a total content creator she is writer actor it. like she does it she's, she's one stop shopping yeah but she really embodies. That. Yeah, yeah, she's killing it. She's It was she's fun amazing. to see you in that. Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah. it was fun. You're doing a lot of fun stuff. Thank you. All kinds of fun Thanks. stuff. you too. Um, final question. Well, maybe it's two questions. <laughs> why do you act and why do you write? And are they different?
1: Wow. Um, uh, why do I act? Um, I think I act because I find it interesting to be someone else. Mm-hmm. And that I get a little bored with being me. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice opportunity to slip on a different pair of glasses and look out at the world in a different way. Um, and it makes me happier to be in the world. But it makes me have compassion. So I, that's the thing I really right. like about it.
0: It really That's what the takeaway is. Yeah. You feel more empathy and compassion for people having explored different characters. I,
1: I, I think it's nice to have, it kind of gives, I get to be, and also I don't have any consequences. Like I can murder and then go home and yeah. have dinner. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I don't have to yeah, go to yeah. jail or anything. It's great.
0: <laughs> Answer me this. You play some of these sort of odd ducks. Has it made you more compassionate to the odd ducks you encounter in the world? Because you like see the, the weird guy at the library and you're yeah. like, I'm going to be reading from
2: yeah. that bar next I mean,
1: week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean, truthfully, I, I would be, you know, lying if I didn't say I was. I'm, I'm, I'm an odd duck. We're all odd ducks, most of us. But are, you, you know? play them well. Thank and I you. think it's different Thanks. than.
0: I don't say you occur that way. Yeah, yeah. But, but like some of these characters, like the Boston yeah. Legal thing.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I think I always was attracted to those people, even when yeah. I was a kid, because I felt kind of freaky. Right. So I have always had a kind of a freaky set of friends. I've always been drawn to eccentric people. And, right. And there's... Like, Jesus, when I do the storytelling shows, I tell all these crazy stories about all these people I got involved with because they were, you know, they were my friends. They were. So, right. they didn't have any friends, so I became their friend. And then right. we went on this adventure together, you right. know? So I've, I, I... And I guess... And when I go to parties, like, freaky people tend to gravitate toward me. <laughs> and I think that the reason they do is... When I see a freaky person coming, like, I don't flinch. Like, I don't, right. like, walk away or divert my gaze.
0: Right. You're not, you know, like, please don't talk to me. Please right, talk exactly. Me. Yeah. And
1: so because they sense that, they kind of seek me out of the party and then, then they start to talk to me. So I've always been kind of a magnet for that. So I, I like it in yeah. a weird way. It's all good. It is, yeah. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah.
0: So, so that's that, why you ask. Yeah, yeah. And do what you write? do I
1: write? Um, I write because... I, I What do I write? I write because I guess I spent so many hours in church interesting. Um, And I listened to my father preach. And, uh, and his preaching was always about obviously some moral issue of some kind and sometimes right. he would illustrate with a story and all of that and I come from a family of people uh, who are not at all religious who are actually a bunch of drunks and drug addicts and small time criminals and uh, and they have a lot of adventures and they love to tell those stories as well so I grew up around a lot of forms of storytelling right. some of them were very funny some of them were kind of powerful and moving in their own weird way and so, I, so having come from that um, I kind of feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's, it's kind of almost like an obligation it's in, in some blood. way to, to tell a story that is going to help. Um, a few years ago, as we all do sometimes, I was kind of seeking, you know, gee, what's the, what's the engine that's going to drive my life a little bit? Yeah. And I had one of those, I ran into a career coach at a party of all things. Right. And she said, do you know what your purpose is? And I said, you know, I think I do. But I, I literally, like, I hadn't really thought about it. It just spontaneously came out of me.
0: Right. It felt and like the truth.
1: It did. It said, I, I said, I think my purpose is to make people laugh and to make them think a little. And as soon as that came out of my mouth, writing became so clear then right. to me
0: how to focus on it, what to focus on. Right.
1: And and that, you know, pretty much every script really is some kind of morality tale of some right. kind. You know, some kind of battle of for good or evil or what road do we take or what's, you know, do our self-interest as opposed to the interest of the greater good or... Right. There's always something, even if it's a sitcom, there's some kind of theme like that in there about like how to behave in the world. Right. And so, I don't know, I think that's kind of important especially now as the church is receding and we're left with this right. kind of crazy moral well, compass no moral- right now. Well,
0: there's there's no moral uh, standards it seems like you know it's you know what? It's really up for grabs, I'll tell you that. Right. I think
1: there's a fight going on for it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of the people, like the art, artistic community, which I think is doing a great job. Right. Of trying to make sure that everything we're putting out now is pretty clear, you know? It, right. It's like you've got to take a stand. you got you got to understand how to take a loss. You've got to understand what's worth fighting for. you got to understand that, that love doesn't just arrive. you got to right. earn it.
0: you got to have a, a sense of fairness.
1: Right. So it's, and and the greater good and survival right. and community. So there's a lot of stuff that we're, I think, putting out in the world that I'm really proud of us for doing right now. Right. And it's it's going to be a fight, but I'm glad I'm in this camp.
0: Yeah. What a great way to end it. All right. Congrats on the book. Thank you. It's really fun. You're so inspiring to talk to. And thanks for doing the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks. Yay! Thanks again to David Dean Bertrell. Pick up his book, Working Actor. It is terrific. All right. So this happened. As I mentioned at the top of the show... I went to Salt Lake City, Utah to interview somebody for a life cast, and the night before I went to this little bar near my hotel, I think it was called The Red Door, and I had a game with me, I was going to go take it to a game store, Um, and two guys were sitting at the bar and uh, they started talking to me, they saw the game, and I started talking to them and then I recognized one of the guys as being Tyler Glenn, he's the lead singer of the band Neon Trees, you've heard their songs on the radio I'm sure. And I saw him maybe a year ago in a documentary called Believer um, about uh, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons and how he started this music festival to fight teenage suicide in Utah because they had the highest rate of anywhere, I think, in the country and a lot of more Mormon kids. Uh, and as you know, I was raised Mormon or maybe you don't know, but I was. So anyway, I got to talk to these guys. Um, his friend's name was Steve and Tyler Glenn was there. And I told him I saw the documentary. We started uh, track, uh, talking. And we um, they asked about the game and I had it there. So I busted it out. And we played a little game of You Don't Know My Life um, in this bar in Salt Lake City, Utah. With uh, Tyler Glenn and his friend Steve. And then we ended up taking a photo. And um, so I got to get a celebrity playing my game it was really cool so um there you go all right and speaking of the game it's available now at you don't know my life.com co- and um it's going good we we've been uh hustling and trying to make stuff happen so it's been fun all right that's all we got for this week thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on dennis
2: anyone bye